For as long as we have lived, for as long as we have known, love has carried us. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at www.genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching in it together. Uh, good morning. This is my favorite part of the week, coming here and seeing all of you. Uh, the scripture today is from Psalm 51, 1 through 12. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Charlie. Good morning, everybody. So um, if you were here in January when I spoke, I um, sat down at the edge of the stage and we had a conversation instead of um, more traditional preaching. So we're going to do that again because I thought, you know, love to talk about is sin and confession. So the best thing that I could do next is have a group conversation about something like Psalm 51, because that just sounds like the thing that people love talking about the most. Uh, so um, I'm actually hoping that that's true. I'm hoping that this morning can give us a new picture of what sin is and a new picture of what confession is and make all of this perhaps feel a little bit less scary to those of us who get scared by it. Um, but knowing that this can be a heavy thing for a lot of us, I'd love to start with a little prayer um, for our hearts, for our spirits, um, just to center into a conversation like this. So would you join me in prayer? Lord God, I thank you for your goodness and for your love. I thank you that we can come to you however we are, wherever we are, and that you will meet us and that you will help us find our way towards wholeness. We pray for that spirit to come upon this place this morning, that uh, this conversation would be renewing, that shame would get left at the door that we would find our way to knowing more about the kind of love that you have for us and the kind of possibilities that exist for us. 
pray that you would help us to see and hear well as we listen to your words and as we listen to the words of one another. We pray that this would be a place where we are restored to the joy of your salvation. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, we're going to have a conversation this morning about Psalm 51. So hopefully some of us are feeling courageous to speak into the questions this morning, and we'll see where this conversation takes us. So last time uh, I was up here, we talked a lot about what it meant to walk as beloved and how that might change how we do things. And so I wonder um, if we could start there again. Um, How might it change our choices if we know deeply that we are beloved? And this is a chance, by the way, for anyone to participate. So all you got to do is shout out an answer if you have one. Ooh, we wouldn't take other people's criticism as personally. Act less out of fear. Hmm. Okay, Fred, let me see if I can recap that for those who didn't hear it. So feeling loved gives us an increased sense of confidence, which decreases the power of shame and gives us greater permission to speak about the whole of who we are. Bam. (laughs) What did you say, Scott? Please rise for the benediction. Who needs, who needs any of the rest of the sermon after that? But Fred is actually taking us to exactly what's going on in Psalm 51. Because anyone happen to know what David, this is a psalm of David, anyone know the meaning of David's name? Thousand Bible points. I'll, I'll, louder. Beloved. David's name means beloved. So there's a way of reading the story of David in the scriptures as what it looks like for someone to walk as the beloved of God. And what's interesting about Psalm 51 as we enter into that is exactly what Fred said. Because what I might think, maybe you guys are like me or not, I might think that if I am the beloved of God, if I understand myself as beloved, and if I'm as David is described as being, as I'm, if I'm a person over, after God's own heart, I might think what about my trajectory of choices? If you're like me. <laughs> okay, thanks, Claire. <laughs> thanks for not leaving me hanging and being alone there. <laughs> I might think, and I've thought this before, man, if I really understood this about myself, my trajectory would be to the right and up (laughs) on that graph. It would all be awesome. It would all be headed skyward and better and better and better and better and better. And yet Psalm 51 is this Psalm of David who deeply understands that he is the beloved of God and has screwed up big time. 
So the question isn't whether or not we will make mistakes or how big those mistakes will be. The question is, can we leave shame at the door and can we have the courage to talk about them? Anyone happen to have a Bible with you besides just the liturgy packet? Be it an app or a regular Bible, who'd be willing to read how Psalm 51 starts not in the liturgy? Mm hmm. Okay. So when we're reading the Psalms, a lot of times they start out with these notes at the top of them. Those are not translator notes. Those are actually in the scrolls, and actually in the Hebrew text are the beginning of verse 1, even though there's not verse numbers. The psalm starts with, to the chief musicians, a psalm of David, after Nathan the prophet came to him and confronted him about what happened with Bathsheba. Who wrote that? <laughs> who does it say wrote this psalm? David, which means who wrote that line? David. What does it mean for David to record for posterity that he, the king of Israel, wrote this psalm after a prophet confronted him about a mistake and he realized he had screwed up? Humility. Accountability. Say more about that word. <laughs> Holding yourself to a higher standard. What's your name? Adam. Thanks, Adam. More. Humility. Accountability. Forgiveness. How does it show forgiveness? Ooh. If he hadn't been writing this from a place where he felt forgiven by God, then maybe he couldn't have written it with such candor. Ooh, self-compassion. Say more about that. Right, right. <laughs> I'm still loved and I still think I'm pretty cool because he's putting this down, but what is he not doing? He's not shaming himself. And he's not self-protecting. Say more about that, Scott. <laughs> mm -hmm. So this just isn't him, I love that, making himself feel better in the privacy of his prayer closet. <laughs> This is him admitting to the whole community, I screwed up. Mm -hmm. Okay, so say more about that. Right. 
So he, because what happens if we keep it in the privacy of our prayer closet when we confess, what does that do with the community? Not much. <laughs> okay. And how do we respond when we think everybody else is perfect? We hide more. And what was that over there? We hate them. <laughs> Thanks, Jenny. So honest. Oh, these stupid people who have it all together. <laughs> I better take my sin to the privacy of my prayer closet. Keep this shame in the back. Instead of saying, what if all of us came together and made this a group conversation about how both we are loved and we screw up and there is a future for each of us and all of us and we don't need to hide. David starts his psalm by talking about God's grace. I don't know if it does it say that. Yeah. Be gracious to me. The word for grace in Hebrew is chen. And when you think of the word grace, how have you heard grace defined in any context? Louder. Elegance, says Matt. Getting something you don't deserve. Lenience. Unfair, so that idea of unmerited favor, unfairness. So these things aren't untrue, but as often is the case, we tend to define things with half a definition. We do that in particular with words of scripture. Grace is, there is a sense of favor and maybe even unmerited favor of the gift of something. And that's true. But in that, we tend to think a lot about the gift of what we are saved from without thinking about the gift of what we are saved for. So in Noah, in Genesis 6, Noah uh, receives grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then anyone know what happens to Noah's life? <laughs> Someone just did a hand motion from the back. <laughs> but why? What happens after Noah received grace in the eyes of the Lord and? And what? And he's saved. Why? What is he about, what is he about to be asked to do? Build an ark. Hey, Noah, guess what? You've got grace, so build an ark. You've got a future that I've called you to with this grace. Joseph receives grace in the eyes of Potiphar, and Potiphar puts him in charge of his whole house. Ephesians 2, it is for by grace you have been saved, not by faith, not by works so that no one can boast. For, anyone know how that ends? We are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Grace is a gift of what we are saved from and what we are saved for. And David starts his confession by saying, be gracious to me, O God. There's a future. I know you are a God who gives futures, who gives gifts to take us from something and lead us to something. Bring that to me now because I am lost. And I know that you want to give me that future.
how might beginning a confession with that kind of knowledge, that kind of claiming of a future, affect how we approach the rest of the confession? <laughs> Thanks, Karen. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So he's bringing his stuff into the light of the community. Yep, this is me, and I'm going to help you do the same thing. How else does it help to start by naming that grace of saved from and saved for? Okay, please provide me a safe space to deal with this stuff. Why do we need a safe space to deal with stuff? Someone say that again. Don't judge me. (laughs) What does fear of judgment do to us? Paralyzes. Makes us hide. Shuts us down. Right. Ooh. (laughs) Doesn't help us be honest. It makes us want to bring the PG-13 version of the problem. As compared to, what if this is a safe space to put it all out on the table? Which is what David's about to do. He's going to put it all out on the table. He uses, there are three Hebrew words for sin. He uses all of them. He talks about pasha, which is more the idea of rebellion, like an intentional againstness. He talks about um, the word, a word that's more like how we can get twisted and we can end up turning in the wrong direction. And he uses the word for sin that's hate. It's about missing the mark. He's using all three of those. He's putting it all on the table. I've screwed up in every way possible <laughs> with this one. And I am not going to hide any of it. Here you go, God. Wash me, make me clean, help me find a new beginning. And with that safe space, what's translated as compassion in verse 1 is raham, which is a great word to have the week after Steve preached on John 3. So this is good, like, Bible trivia memory uh, stuff for those who were here last week. What was, what was the wrestling, what is the wrestling of John 3 between Nicodemus and Jesus? That is what I'm asking. What does it mean to be born again? Thanks, Karen. Thousand Bible points for you. <laughs> what does it mean to be born again? Nicodemus is trying to get his brain around that, his heart around that, his mind around that. And we tend to think of that as a narrative that begins in the New Testament. But there's a way that Jesus is actually bringing a fulfillment of a story that has been happening since the beginning. So raham means womb. That's what's being translated as compassion. God, bring me into your womb. 
what might it do for us if God, if we understand God to be the type of God that brings us into God's womb, how might that affect how we live and what kind of choices we make? Yeah, so womb is, when we're talking about a safe place for this to happen, in a womb we are completely taken care of. There's a way that we are wrapped up in the care of parents before we even make it out. Ooh, (laughs) and you are completely dependent on that care of parents. There's maybe a little tension in that piece. But you got to hook back up to the umbilical cord. (laughs) What does it mean to hook back up to the umbilical cord of God's provision? Sure. So we've got a we've got a chance with God's womb to have a new kind of birth that's not a born into the Super Bowl with two broken legs <laughs> that gets us back to the restoration of who we were always meant to be. And you feel that tension a bit in David's words because he talks about how in his mother's womb, from when his mother conceived him, he had this twistedness that he can't seem to get away from. But he's not naming that as his core identity. He's naming the womb of God as his core identity. This is where I'm born. This is where I need to be born again. There's something going on in me that was born from the wrong place. Heal that. Blot that out. Give me a new start. Help me be born of your womb, God, because I know you've got a future for my life. So help me get there. Got to be honest, though. Verse 4 bugs me. And, and in, the, in this conversation, it, it rubs me and bugs me a little bit because when we're talking about shame and guilt and these kind of things, and I'm thinking about the sins I do, I'm kind of bugged by David's sin. Uh, anyone know, what, what is David's sin in this uh, psalm that he is confessing? Which one? Okay, here we go. Let's list some of the things that David has done to lead him in this moment. Murder, adultery, lust. So he sees Bathsheba bathing, and he finds her to be a beautiful woman. And so he decides to take her, and she gets pregnant. And um, oops, that's not going to look very good. And his, her husband, Uriah, is, uh, is fighting for Israel out on the battlefield. And what's significant about that, it always names Uriah the Hittite. So anyone know what a Hittite is? Not an Israelite. <laughs> a Hittite is a foreigner who has come into their land and made himself an Israelite to the point that he is fighting on the front lines of Israel's battle on Israel's behalf. 
And David sends him to the front of the battle to get murdered so that he can take his wife for himself. So he has broken everything about the Torah at this point. It's not only adultery. It's over and over again, welcome the foreigner and love the stranger as yourself. And he has taken this stranger's wife for his own and had this guy killed. It's a big deal on all sorts of fronts. And so when I read this verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned, I'm like, "Uh, no. (laughs) Let's see who else you sinned against. (laughs) You sinned against Bathsheba. You sinned against Uriah. You sinned against your people. Like, what in the heck is going on with verse 4? And I was wrestling with this with a friend who's, um, who's in AA, and we were talking about the 12 steps. And I started to see this in a new light. So step four of the 12 steps <clears throat> is to take a fearless moral inventory. Anyone know what step it is to make amends? Between the inventory and making amends, we have some work to do. Why is it important to have work to do between the inventory and making amends to those we have wronged? Okay. easy to make the amends be about me unless I realize it's not about me. Okay, it might also be easy to make the amends about the other person when maybe it's even bigger than that. Okay, (laughs) let me see if I can repeat that. Kara said, when we're too quick to jump to peace, we might not go to the place we need to go for true repentance. Ooh, louder, George. Acceptance is not repentance. Can you say more about that? Mm-hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Right. 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 Acknowledgement doesn't necessarily mean I'm doing the work to correct those problems. There's stuff I have to acknowledge, and then there's work I have to do to correct, to repent, to move towards the true peace and healing that could be available. Verse 12, on that note, says restore. We could also translate that as return. The word is shuv. So when we talk about repentance in Hebrew, the word is teshuva, and it's rooted in the word shuv, which means to turn. That if we're repenting, we're saying okay, there's something that's happened where I've missed the mark, and I'm going to acknowledge that, I'm going to accept that, but that's only step one. Now I'm going to turn, and I'm going to walk in a new direction. And David's saying that new direction 
is a restoring of the joy of the salvation of God. This is what I'm moving to, not just what I'm moving from. That turning looks like the whole of it. It looks like understanding who God is and who I am and getting back on track with all that he's called me to. And there's a way in doing that that he is then in this psalm marrying his faults with his gifts. Because David is a psalmist. That's one of the things he's good at. That's what he's done. Psalm 23 was certainly written pretty far before this. That was probably written when he was a shepherd in the fields. And there's psalms that were written after this. And like was said earlier when we were talking about the, the bringing this to the chief musicians, in this psalm he's saying, okay, there's a way you can take this moment in time, God, and you can transform it. You can take this huge mistake and you can marry it with who I am at my best, and you can restore the joy of your salvation to me and to your people through this new work that you can do at this moment in time. So I took a silent retreat uh, a couple weeks ago. And one of the things that I have started doing over the last year or so is drawing more and actually realizing that that's a key part of who I am that I had left behind at some point and I needed to pick back up. But one of the things that I've struggled with in drawing and in poetry is allowing things to be messy and allowing there to be process. And I started to realize how much that's actually a key part of where art comes from, is to take the messiness and to allow there to be a restoration of the joy of salvation that can come through the combination of both. And I wrote a poem that I'm going to share out loud, even though that, whatever. (laughs) Uh, I figured if we're talking about leaving shame behind and we're doing that stuff, then all right, here we go. So I'm going to read a poem. Uh, There's a picture with it of a broken pot with the light shining out from the cracks of the broken pot. And it says this. I have squandered my anxieties, longing to repair the cracks, hoping to hide how I have failed. But these splinters are the openings where light breaks through and love spills out. I was never meant to hold it all in. The leaks are not mistakes to be hidden. My messiness is the evidence of goodness. The overflow of a God who bursts from the confines of control and expectation is the laughter of delight. After all, dearest, it is in the chaos of trust that births new beginnings. <clears throat>